Our text this morning, verses 13 through 18, Matthew chapter 16, beginning to read at verse 13 through verse 18, the word of our God, our text this morning. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Thus the reading of God's holy word and our text this morning. Uh, now, at this point of our Lord's ministry, he's being met with uh, great opposition, great conflict. There are those who expected him to be a certain kind of Christ, a certain kind uh, of Messiah. And when he proves that he is not, he's met with opposition, hatred. Indeed, they go on to crucify our Lord. His message uh, was not popular. He came and he preached. The preaching of the truth causes division. We find our Lord here dealing with his disciples in the midst of great opposition, uh, in the midst of dwindling numbers. And we see our Lord comforting himself and the disciples with reality. And reality is always comforting. Whether it be Difficult or devastating reality. Reality is comforting. We see our Lord comforting himself and his disciples with the truth that he will build his church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so we have not time to place our text in the context in any more detailed way this morning. But I have four considerations from our Lord's statement, his declaration, his promise, I will build my church. And so let us consider in the first place that the church authored, built, sustained and glorified is according to promise. It's according to promise. I will build my church. And what is a promise? Well, a promise is a declaration of something that will happen. And by that definition, only God can make a promise. Only God can make a promise. And let us uh, be thankful to God that he has made promises to us. When we make a promise, it is only the declaration of an intention. We do not have the power, the authority um, to bring our promise to pass. Only God has the ability and authority, power and control to bring his promises to pass. 
in order to bring a promise to pass, one must be in control of all things. One must be in control of all contingencies. One must be in control of over the difficulties and over the opposition. Else it is not a promise. Only God can make a promise. In a text that we all rely on so much, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are the called according to his purpose. An exposition of our text, if you will. In our confession, chapter 3, of God's decree, God hath decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably, all things whatsoever comes to pass. Now, reality is comforting. Whatsoever comes to pass. We know in that great sentence in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, verse 11, we have been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. And so in the midst of this great difficulty and opposition, hatred and division, our Lord comforts himself and his disciples with reality. The reality of what God is doing in the world and what he's doing in his coming, what he's going to do in his death. What are the redemptive realities that are ours in Christ Jesus? Now, how do we know that the promises of God are true? Now, we certainly we have God's word, which is our the only proof we need. But we also have clear proof every day that the promises of God are true. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. So death spread to all men in the day you eat of it, you will die. And we don't think of this very often, but it it should be something that strengthens our faith. The fact that we see death. Because death is according to promise. In the day you eat of it, you will die. Death is not the invention of men. Death is a sentence. 155,000 people die every day on the world average. This is proof that the promises of God are true. Should strengthen our faith. We have a whole world that cries out. Well, with all the sickness in the world, with all the tragedy and all the death in the world, how can there be a God? Indeed, God has promised us these things. It's a fallen world. It's a crooked world. It's a world under judgment. We don't think of death in that way. But the wages of sin is death. Death is a reality. God's promises are a devastating reality. Let us consider in the second place that the church is a possession. Our Lord says, I will build my church. 
It's a purchased possession. We read in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now, who is the one who is concerned for their possession? We all have possessions. And who, who is concerned? Well, the one who possesses the possession is concerned for the possession. If you go to a, uh, let us say you go to a music store, an instrument store, and you, you order a very special instrument, very special to you, and you prepay for it. And you get a phone call in some weeks, your instrument has arrived and you're excited. You go to the music store to pick up your prized possession that you've paid for. And there's no record that you've paid for it. The clerk that you paid is no longer there. The bookkeeper hasn't a record of it. No one there has a record of it. Who's concerned for the possession? Who's concerned for the purchase? The one who made the purchase is concerned for the purchase. Christ is concerned for his possession, the church. He's the one who is most concerned with his possession. It isn't our love for the church that sustains it. It's Christ's love for his purchased possession. And the health and the welfare of the church is not based on how much we love people or how much we love the church. And I'm not saying that we should not love people or the church. But God does not leave it to us. It's his possession. He's the one who's concerned for it. He's the one who perseveres for the church. He gives his life for the church. And he works all things for the good of the church. And men may not esteem the church very highly, and indeed they don't, and indeed we don't. We have remaining sin. We have a low view of Christ's possession. Necessarily so, but he doesn't. He gave his life for the church, and we must continually point our people to him. We are signposts, like John the Baptist. Behold, the Lamb of God. So let us take comfort in the fact that Christ will look after his possession. Let us consider in the third place that the church will be built, difficulties included. Our Lord says to Peter, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now, this clearly implies that there are forces in place whose design it is to overpower the church. The Lord said, no one will snatch them out of my hand. And then he said, no one will snatch them out of my father's hand, implying that there are those forces which seek to snatch us out of Christ's hand and out of the father's hand. God is the only one who can tell us the truth. And he's to be He's to be thanked for telling us the truth. He's the only one who can tell us the truth. He's the only one who lives in reality. 
He's the only one who can tell us about reality. Difficulties are included, and our Lord has not kept this truth from us. It's a fallen world. It's a crooked world. It will not be made straight. This world is under judgment. There are persecutions from without. Alas, there's persecutions from within. He's told us of false teachers. He's told us of false professors. He's told us of the difficulties and divisions that uh, remaining sin unchecked, unmortified, unidentified and undealt with will cause in the church. Our Lord has revealed in the text we've already uh, looked at Romans 8:20 thing uh, 8:28 all things work together. It doesn't say that all things are good. All things work together, even the bad things, even the wrong things, even the devastating things, even the things that knock the wind out of us. And if you're in the ministry, you're going to get the wind knocked out of you. Indeed, these things work together for good. In Ephesians 1.11, we've already read it. God said he works all things, even the bad things, even the wrong things. The Lord doesn't tell Peter that the gates of hell won't wage war. He encourages him with the truth that the gates of hell won't prevail. So the very promise includes the fact of war in the building of the church. And we're to have our full armor on, are we not? At all times, pray without ceasing, keep seeking the things above. The world has hated me. The world's going to hate you. Be not of the world. We expect too much out of this world and we clamor after comfort and ease. Difficulties are included indeed. Many will tell us different. Many lying preachers have and are telling us different. But God never will do that. He will tell us the truth. Unmixed with error. The truth that we preach is a dividing truth. Christ is a dividing rock. Truth is necessarily divisive. It divides that which is true from that which is not true. All truth is exclusive. That is, it excludes everything that is not true. Men do not like that. There's going to be opposition. Sinners do not like to be separated from sin. Sinners do not like to be separated from their pet sins. And when we preach about sin, when we preach Christ and him crucified, repentance and so forth, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be problems. And our Lord has graciously told us so. We're ignorant and not thinking biblically if we expect anything else. Let us consider in the fourth and the last place that the church is ultimately the only thing being built. The only thing being built. Many want to build a mighty empire. 
I was in Phoenix some years ago. It's changed. Uh, there are many new buildings, many new projects. Men want to leave a legacy in some way. But they don't live according to reality. The reality is you can leave a legacy, but the problem is you have to leave the legacy. You have to leave this world. Death is a devastating reality. And it's fast approaching. This world is fading away. The things in this world are fading away. So people desire to build so many things, but is anything really being built? The church is being built. It's the only thing that will last. Solomon built his empire, and at the end of his building project, he came to the conclusion, it's all vanity. It's all vanity. From a little mustard seed, the church is the only thing being built. That which is despised in the world, the church is being built without fanfare, without fireworks, without notice. This summer, I'm going to be watching uh, the World Cup. The World Cup's coming to uh, South America, and the whole world will be watching. And in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't mean anything. It's a game. It doesn't mean anything. Life is not a game. Preaching is not a game. Death is not a game. We have to preach the truth and deal with the consequences of it, as we see our Lord doing in the midst of great opposition. Was our Lord misunderstood? Was our Lord misrepresented? Did people build up a straw man regarding our Lord and tear him down? They crucified him. He was sinless. What, what would we expect? But though despised by the world, the church quietly moves forward. So the World Cup will be going on. The whole world will be watching. But there will be a sinner repenting. His own family won't even know it. He'll be in his closet, if you will, repenting. Crying out to Christ for forgiveness. A backslider returning. A small work persevering in the middle of nowhere with few numbers. That's the work of building the church without the world's fanfare. Christ is building his church, regardless of how we feel about it. Regardless of how we feel about it. We may not even feel like a Christian, but yet Christ is building his church. You know, the earth moves 66,600 miles per hour. We're not even aware of it. The reality is, regardless of how we feel about it, Christ is building his church. It's his love for the church. It's his work. It's his possession. Christ himself will bring it to pass. You realize the only thing that we set our eyes on our entire lives that will last is the word of God. Every single thing that we set our eyes on will fade away. It's all vanity. Only the word of God will persevere. Christ is building his church and he's building it perfectly. Ultimately, there are no problems in the building of the church. There are no problems. 
We have our Lord's promise, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So we have in our text the meaning of all things. We have the meaning of history. History is moving somewhere. It's coming to a point. It's coming to a head. It's coming to the day of judgment. And if we do not think that death and judgment uh, is man's problem, we have no business in the ministry. It's not about a better life now. Look at Christ with his disciples. Is he having a better life now? He's on his way to lay down his life. Everything is going according to plan. There are no roadblocks for God. Many building projects run into financial trouble. Our Lord owns everything. He owns every person. He is the one working all things. And we know in a very painful way that the work takes place in spite of us. And has to. But God's way is to use men, leaky vessels, to show that it's by his sovereign power that he will build his church. And to him be glory forever. All right, let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these glorious truths. We pray that you would pl- apply them to us. Grant us grace to live in reality not in the fantasy worlds of our own imaginations. Thank you for your word and your truth. Sanctify us, we ask, in Christ's name. Amen.